0: Good morning, morning. busy morning for us here as we get closer to the holidays. I want to welcome all of you here who may be visiting. I tried to get around to see most of you, if not all of you, but again, welcome. We're glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, I understand there was a bit of problems getting here this morning. Uh, They decided to close off a number of streets for some of you who were coming in. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, It doesn't surprise me given today's message. Today we're going to be talking about opposition. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that the devil does his best to oppose us and keep us from being where God has called us to be. So for those of you who persevered and got here and got parked and maybe even had the double park, which is fine, we just want to welcome you and thank you for persevering. This morning, we are going to be in God's word in Acts chapter 13, verse 4. In Acts chapter 13, verse 4, we're going to see that Barnabas and Saul preached the gospel on their first missionary journey in an area on an island actually called Cyprus. And that in and of itself is pretty predictable. What I think isn't so predictable, actually should be predictable, is the opposition that they received in trying to reach people with the gospel. Now, I think one of the things you're going to find out very early on in your walk is you will be opposed every single step of the way in this world, by the world, by spiritual forces of darkness, as you attempt to serve the Lord with all your heart. I can guarantee, in fact, I can promise you that as you step out and say, Lord, Heavenly Father, use me. I want to reach my family. I want to reach my coworkers. I want to reach my neighbors. I want an opportunity to share the gospel with them. I can guarantee the very next thing that will happen, there will be some form of opposition. It can be something simple or annoying, or it can be something drastic and very real. But what I can tell you is you can expect opposition to serving the Lord. Let's, let's open in a quick word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we offer up this service to you now. We thank you for the opportunities that we've had already for fellowship and prayer and worship. But we now ask that as we study your word, you would speak to our hearts and give us an understanding of your word. And help us to apply it to our situations, our circumstances, and to our world today. For if it's not applicable... If it's not something we can take home and put into practice, then we've just gotten a little smarter. And Lord, it's not intelligence alone that we need today. We need wisdom and understanding. We need your strengthening and your encouragement that we might apply your word to our lives and let you work through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at verses 4 and 5. We know from last week's study that Saul and Barnabas were called to go. They were called to go on their missionary journey to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. So it says the two of them in verse 4, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. And we've been introduced to these individuals, this isn't the first we've seen any of those individuals we've talked about. Barnabas and Saul, they, they, they sailed from Seleucia to Cyprus, and they arrived at a place called Salamis. Now, these individuals, Barnabas and Saul, had been ministering for about a year together in the church at Antioch. And they were sent, literally sent, by the Holy Spirit as he worked through their home church. They were leaders on the leadership team. We were introduced to five of them last week. But these two have been called to go, and not just for a week. It would be some time, years, actually, by when all was said and done. It it could be years that they were on the mission field, months to years. So they sailed from Seleucia to the island of Cyprus. Now, I don't know how many of you enjoy being on the water. I found that for those of you who've had the opportunity to be on a fishing boat or maybe out in the New York Harbor touring, which is always nice, or going to the Statue of Liberty or Ellis Island... You think, oh, this is wonderful, right? This is great. Number of years ago, Michelle and I were leading a young adults group and we, and we took them, we did this twice actually on a, a sailing vessel. It's actually a wooden boat called the Pioneer. And we actually sailed the New York Harbor, literally sailed it uh, with this wonderful uh, wooden boat, this large ship, and uh, it was great, it was wonderful. But if you've had that opportunity, you think to yourself, oh, sailing is wonderful, right? How many of you though have been out on the open water of the ocean? Because that's where you really find your sea legs. Now, I happen to be one of those people, maybe because I'm descended from Sicilians and Sicily is an island. I happen to be one of those people that really enjoy being on the open water. And I don't get sick, which is great. I get a little tired if there's a lot of rocking. I guess, you know, like a little baby, I get tired. But I don't get sick. Not everyone feels that way. But sailing in the ancient world was extremely dangerous, even if you were just going from the area of Syria to Cyprus, it's in the Mediterranean Sea, it's open water. So anytime you see they sailed, we have a tendency to say, oh, how nice. Sailing was the most dangerous thing you can imagine back then, but oftentimes it was the only way to get to where you were going. And as far as Cyprus is concerned, there's just no other way to get there. So keep in mind, they they go out on this boat. They've just been sent by the Holy Spirit. And the thing they do, well, it's a very dangerous and scary thing for most people. These men are not sailors, except that Barnabas was actually from Cyprus. So I'm sure he had sailed back and forth a number of times. But Saul is out there. Now, this is his first missionary journey. How many of you guys remember your first missions trip? Remember your first missions trip? Maybe for you, it was like for me, the first time I flew was my first missions trip. And we went, it was 1987, and we went up to Anchorage, Alaska. Nice short flight. So, you know, that was an interesting experience. I wasn't necessarily afraid of flying. I just had never flown before. So I I get on the plane and I go up there and it was a wonderful trip. But part of the fear associated with going was getting there. Or not getting there, I should say. So maybe you've experienced that. I know Pastor Joe, our missions pastor, has shared many times that when God called him to the mission field, one of his biggest concerns, right, Joe, was flying. You weren't a big fan of flying. And then you were flying to Russia and you were flying all over to to different places. And I I guess you've gotten over that since, haven't you? Maybe not. (laughs) But he goes because that's what God has called us to do. Amen. And sometimes you can drive, but sometimes you have to fly. Well, they had to sail. So look at these individuals. I mean, I want you to, I'm trying to paint a picture so you don't think of these men as, you know, superheroes. They're just going where God has called them to go. And I'm sure Barnabas had something to do with why they were going to Cyprus. They sailed from Cilicia to this island. Now, Cilicia is a, a city in Syria. It's near the mouth of the Orontes River, it's about 16 miles from Antioch. First thing they do, leave their home church, travel 16 miles, get on a ship. And go to what is a beautiful island off the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. Barnabas, again, originally from Cyprus, would have been familiar with the island. It's a good choice. So this is what they do. Barnabas and Saul arrived at a place called Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, plural. Synagogues. Now, Salamis was a principal city. It's on the southeast coast of the island of Cyprus. If you're familiar with the Mediterranean and the Isle of Cyprus, you know that it is a long island, kind of shaped almost like a Cuba or something. It's a long island, a lot bigger. Uh, but on the southeast coast, you have this city, and there seems to have been several synagogues in the city of Salamis. So what's the first thing they do? Go to the place where people know the word of God. It's always easier to minister to a group of people who know the word of God. Amen. I mean, you don't have to start from zero. You, you, you can talk to people about things. And, you know, one of, the, one of my pet peeves, uh, I grew up in, uh, an Episcopalian. My father was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I grew up in a very religious sort of famu- family. You know, we, we we went to church every week, and, and family members, when they went to church, it kind of wasn't a church like this. It was not very relaxed. It was a different kind of church. And one of my pet peeves when I became a Christian in the 80s uh, was that a lot of people didn't consider sort of religious Christians like Episcopalians or Roman Catholics Christians. They they kind of poo-pooed that. They didn't you know they were very negative toward individuals from that background. But what I've learned is if you speak to someone who is raised in either the Anglican or Episcopal Church or the Roman Catholic Church, they will oftentimes know a lot more than you realize because week after week they were instructed in the basics of the faith. Now, that can't speak to whether or not they gave their heart to God. It's possible to go to church every week and not give your heart to God in this church or any church. But when individuals hear the truth of God's word, it is very fertile ground to share Christ. But if your approach is to knock or be critical of their religious experience, you've already lost. First of all, it's inappropriate. Second of all, it's not helpful. So oftentimes when I'm speaking to someone who who knows the word of God, maybe they were raised a Lutheran, maybe they were raised a Methodist, maybe they were raised a Presbyterian, maybe they were raised Roman Catholic. I acknowledge that they probably know the gospel, have heard it their whole lives. And then the next thing is, do they believe it? Do they acknowledge it? Have they given their hearts to Jesus Christ? Are they living for him, serving him, loving God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and their neighbors as themselves? but you have to acknowledge that they know something about God. That's the good news. The good news is that they went to a place where people knew something about God. Now, you may be called to go to a place where people know nothing about God. Or what they know about God is really incorrect. Or the God they serve is a false God. That's a completely different situation. We'll see that as we go through the missionary journeys of Paul and others. We'll see that many of them, many times were called to confront paganism and different belief systems that were incorrect. But for today, understand that they're going to a place where people know about God. And so, this is what happened. They went to the Jewish synagogues. You see, the, the, the Jews at that time were broken up into like two different groups of people. Those that acknowledged Jesus as Messiah and those that didn't. Then there were some Greeks that believed in Jesus, then they became Christians. They never became Jews. They became Christians. So those of the Jewish background who became what we would call Christians were those of the way. They were called disciples or believers. They generally weren't called Christians because Christ is a Greek word. So they were called those of the way or Nazarenes, the followers of the Nazarene, Jesus. So understand, there is that little bit of a divide in the church at this time. That will will change over time. But now, Saul and Barnabas, they go into a Jewish synagogue. They, listen, Saul was a, a, a former Pharisee. He was a rabbi. So he had the certification. He had the, uh, all that he needed to go into a place like the synagogue and the license to be able to speak and to share. And so it was a logical choice. Now, as I said, there seemed to have been several synagogues there. And then we're told that a man by the name of John Mark, who we've been introduced to before, had traveled with Barnabas and Saul. Why? To assist them in the ministry. He wasn't one of the speakers. He he wasn't one of the main individuals leading the team, but he was with them. He was a part of the team. Now, if you're not familiar with John Mark, you need to know that as you step forward to serve God, God will use you mightily. It may start with you helping out with perhaps the Sunday school or even just getting involved in the upcoming Sunday school presentation, the Christmas presentation. Or you might get involved helping out in Calvary Kids or, or you might just get involved in some other aspect of ministry. Maybe you help vacuum up after fellowship hour or maybe you come and you set up early or you serve in the worship team. You need to understand something that that is just as important as anything we do here. If you're called by God to serve God, do that faithfully. And it's not that God will call you to bigger and better things. He'll just call you to more things. And some of those things may appear bigger and better and more important, but they're actually not. It's all very important in the kingdom of God. But let me tell you a little bit about John Mark. He was from a very wealthy family, probably born a Roman citizen. John was his Jewish name. Mark was his Roman name. We know that they were pretty wealthy. His mother Mary lived in a large home in Jerusalem and even had a Greek slave. So they were quite wealthy. Now, Barnabas was was John's close relative. And he was, of course, very wealthy as well, as we've seen in the book of Acts. And I only say that because sometimes people think you can't be wealthy and serve the Lord. Well, you can be poor and serve the Lord. You can be wealthy and serve the Lord. Well, John, Mark, and his mother were among the very first Christians in Jerusalem. Peter, when he speaks of him in 1 Peter, considers him a son in the faith. I, I suspect, based on the writings that maybe his his dad wasn't in the picture. Just because, I mean, when someone says, oh, he's my son in the faith, it kind of lends itself to believing that maybe his father wasn't in the picture. But maybe he was. But Barnabas and Saul had taken him to Antioch after their mission in Jerusalem in chapter 12. But you know John Mark because John Mark is best known for writing the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Mark. So why do I say it's important to do the little things? I think what Zechariah said, don't despise the day of small things. Because many times we think the things we're doing are very small, but they're very important. And they lead to very important results. Think about this, man. There are only four Gospels. And one of them was written by Mark. Think about that for a minute. So what you might be doing right now might seem insignificant. To you and to others, and maybe people don't appreciate it or acknowledge you or pat you on the back and say, "Great job vacuuming up the little goldfish that get crushed into the carpet in the Sunday school." Our setup people or clean up people are saying, "Yeah, amen." Over the years, we we experimented with bagels for a couple of years. Then there was cream cheese all over the floor on the couches. Oh, Pastor Tip, why do we have bagels? I'll tell you why we don't have bagels. I don't like cream cheese all over the place. But, you know, the thing is, you look at those things that we do, and you think, oh, my goodness, I came to set up early. I, I, I set up the sound. I, I, I'm doing the overheads. You know, nobody comes. How many? Now, now, now Jill, you're going to get a lot of encouragement today. How many people go up to Jill or anyone else who serves in the overheads and say, great job. <clears throat> you turn those pages. I, I, it was really, really something. You didn't even miss a beat. Nobody does that. And you shouldn't. But the point I'm trying to make is that many times we serve in ways that we think are insignificant. But John Mark, John Mark started that way and he ended up one of the major heroes of the faith. He actually recorded Peter's recollections of Jesus's ministry in the Gospel of Mark. I had to point that out. Okay, so now we get to the main part of our text today. Barnabas and Saul, they travel uh, throughout Cyprus from east to west until they come to Paphos. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, that just gets me mad. Anybody else? <clears throat> Here you're doing what God calls you to do. You're sharing the gospel, and someone goes out of their way to make your job, your calling, more difficult. Have you ever shared with someone and someone else comes along and says, I know he's your son, but you really shouldn't listen to what he's saying. He's in a cult. You know that guy over there in that cube? Yeah. You know that girl over there on the other end of the building? Yeah. I would stay away from them. It happens all the time. It's the opposition of the world. It's the opposition of worldly people. It's the opposition of the devil. And it happens every time you and I step up to share our faith and to share the word of God. Every single time it happens. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. When I, when I was working in the corporate world, I was there for about 20 years. I had a 20-year career. <clears throat> and as I was at this insurance company as a systems analyst and project manager, the Lord called me to teach God's word on Wednesdays in, the, uh, in, in a conference room. And so we started doing this Bible study. Many, many people came out. It was a wonderful experience. I did this for most of the 20 years that I was there in different locations as I moved around within the company. But at one particular point, I made the mistake of inviting someone from HR to the Bible study. She went out of her way to shut us down, told me I could not use the conference room for anything but work-related matters. Didn't matter if the conference room was open. Didn't matter that other people got together to play cards, to talk, to for book club. No, this couldn't happen. And I received a memo. My boss got involved in everything. In fact, she went to my boss and she said, you got to shut him down. And my boss, who was not a Christian, said, I will do nothing that infringes upon his First Amendment rights. Isn't that good? It's a different world today, but that was then, this is now. So I didn't know what to do. I prayed, and the Lord said, you know, go talk to her. So I went to talk to her. I said, you can't, can't do this. You know, you, you know, So we can't gather? Well, you can gather in a public place, but you can't gather in a private place. I'm like, okay. Let's go into the cafeteria where everybody can see us. So we set up camp right by the microwave. And anybody that was heating up their lunch had to listen to the gospel. The microwave would go off. People would come there. They'd say, what are those crazy people doing? A few weeks later, months actually, we moved back into a conference room and they were very happy. You will experience opposition when you attempt to teach the word of God. You can expect it. you got to go with it. Our government right now, state and federal government in New Jersey, state government, is extremely hostile. Extremely hostile to us as Christians. Our federal government, extremely hostile. You can expect opposition to sharing the word of God. So here's what happened. I want to point this out because... Barnabas and Saul, along with John, are traveling throughout Cyprus. They're going from east to west. They come to Paphos, and and, and they, they had traveled through the whole island by the time they got there. Paphos was a maritime city. It had a harbor. It's on the west coast of the island of Cyprus. It was also the capital of Cyprus, and therefore the Roman proconsul was seated there. He's the politician. If you want to call him the governor of the island, he's the proconsul. He's the number one political figure in cyprus or on the island of cyprus and he wants to hear the word of god and i think that's awesome amen but barnabas and saul they met a man named bar jesus now in in hebrew it basically means or even in greek it means the son of jesus but it's not jesus that we know jesus our lord and savior jesus is just the greek form of the name hebrew name joshua So Bar-Jesus means his father's name was Joshua, okay? That's all it really means, but it's kind of weird that his name is Bar-Jesus. But he's in the city of Paphos. He's a Jewish sorcerer. That's a little strange, right? He's also a false prophet, we're told this, and he works in politics. I know it's really hard to imagine someone who's into the occult and someone who's a false prophet who claims to speak for God or claims to speak the truth, for that matter, being the attendant or surrounding a powerful individual on Cyprus or in Washington or anywhere else. But I am convinced that the real problem in our nation today isn't a political party problem. The problem is a demonic one. The problem is... That politicians have always been crooked, but now they're actually influenced by, if not even possessed by, spiritual forces in high places. I believe they're surrounded by individuals whose intent is to prevent God's working. That much is clear. I'm going to tell you, I don't think that was the case in the previous administration. In fact, not at all. In this administration, it seems very obvious to me, and I'm not speaking as a political person. Just open your eyes. It seems very obvious to me that the current political climate, certainly in this state, certainly in New York City, certainly in very liberal areas, you know, you can be more progressive in your politics and be open to sharing the gospel. We just don't see that. It's not about being progressive. It's not about being liberal or conservative. It's about being anti-Christian. You see, that's my main concern is that when a government, state or or federal government becomes anti Christian, I don't have to wonder what's going on. The individuals in power are or are surrounded by people like this man, bar Jesus. Okay? You see, that's the thing. So now you start to think like me, you start to think, oh, what can we do? We got to win the next election. Oh, my goodness. And, And listen, you can protest, you can write letters. You know, I recently wrote, um, I don't know how many of you know, the Senator Joe Manchin. He's a Democratic senator from uh, West Virginia. He's a very conservative Democrat. I recently wrote him and thanked him for standing on his principles. I don't agree with everything the man does or says. You know, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not really even a Republican. I'm an independent conservative. But I wrote him and thanked him for standing up for what he believes. We need to do that. When you see a politician who you may not even like do the right thing, you need to encourage them. But that's not going to change things. That's only going to encourage someone. You and I, we need to be in prayer. This is a spiritual battle, and we're going to see how Paul fought it. And I think we've been fighting with the wrong weapons. I think we need to fight the good good fight of faith. We need to do that. We need to run the race. We need to fight the good fight. We need to do that. But, but wait a minute. Make sure you're using the right weapons. Our, our weapons are not carnal. But they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We've been given the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you look at the armor of God, the, the word of God is the only weapon we're given. But we also have prayer, which is our shield of faith. We, we have all of this, right? Are we using it? Are we too busy, you know, going on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and voicing our opinion? I'm just going to be bold, I'm going to be brash, and you're not going to like this. Get the heck off of that stuff. Why are you in the arena with the lions and the tigers and the bears? Oh, my. Now, oh, I use it to see pictures of my grandkids? Fine. But if you're commenting on posts and arguing with people about your political viewpoints and what you think, why? Why? If you can answer the question, stay on Facebook. But I don't think you can. Now, I've been a little bold about that because no good will come of things like that. You're fighting with the wrong weapons. Yes, the fight needs to be fought. Yes, of course it does. But fight with the right weapons, the ones God gave you by the power of his spirit, and you will be victorious. Take on the enemy on his turf with his weapons, which are carnal, You will lose. Why would you get into a fight you can't win? Some of you know, I study martial arts. The very first rule of self-preservation or self-defense is don't get involved in any altercation if you can help it. What's the best way to get out of an altercation? Walk away. Remember Mr. Miyagi? No first strike in karate. I'm imitating Miyagi. Please don't be offended that I did an Asian accent. I'm from the 80s. We all do it. So to my Asian brothers and sisters, please understand where I'm coming from. Mr. Miyagi spoke that way. So, wak So here's the thing. You and I, we need to remember that we have been given the weapons that are mighty, and we're playing with toys. It's like we go into a battle with a water pistol or a Nerf gun when we've been given a bazooka. So I'm here today to tell you something. You are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. You don't have to play their game. You don't have to fight their war with their weapons. You can win with the weapons that God has given you. But you have to fight with his weapons in the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and the word of God. And you don't back down you never back down. But if you can walk away from a fight you can't win, you do it. But we're victorious in Christ. Understand something. Paul and Barnabas knew what they were up against. He was a false prophet. He's a sorcerer. This is something demonic. This is something spiritual. So what did Paul do? Oh, they ran for office. It was a a double ticket. Barnabas is president. You know, Saul is vice president. They're going to change the world, make Cyprus great again. They're going to go in there and they're going to change things. But you know what? No, that's not what they did. What they did, I believe, was pray. You see, the proconsul, remember this, he sent for Barnabas and Saul. Remember that? Let's go back to 7, verse 7. The proconsul, an intelligent man an intelligent politician. Yes, it does happen sometimes. He sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Of course he's an intelligent man. He wants to hear the word of God. There are individuals in our world in positions of power that do. But there's lots of people out there that are trying to prevent it. He had no doubt heard about their ministry throughout Cyprus. He is, if you will, the governor of the island. He is the proconsul. They've gone from east to west throughout the whole island. You don't think he's heard about it? He's like, I want to hear what they're saying. Now, why? I don't know. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he had concerns about what they were teaching. But he's willing to hear the word of God. And then this man, Bar-Jesus, openly opposed Barnabas and Saul in an attempt to keep the proconsul from the faith. When you and I encounter that type of spiritual wickedness, we have to enter the fight, and we have to win. And so the only way to win is to act in the power of the Spirit with the Word of God. That is it. That is the only way you emerge victorious from that kind of fight. Otherwise, you lose. It's that simple. So, maybe that explains some of how we got to where we are in our world today. Maybe, maybe we've been fighting with the wrong weapons, fighting the right battle with, with the wrong weapons. Now, this man, Bar-Jesus, as we read here, he was referred to as Eliamus the sorcerer. Now, in Arabic, Eliamus means a wise guy. Well, a wise man, really. He's a wise man. Oh, supposedly a very wise man. And so they called him a sorcerer. They call, he was a false prophet, but everyone thought he really knew stuff. And by the way, in Arabic, this would have been just another word for sorcerer. So that's why they refer to him as Eliamist, the sorcerer. That's what his name means. He did everything in his power to keep the proconsul from becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we're going to redefine the battlefield here. Because I think we've gotten a little confused in our world today about what the battlefield is. On the one side, you have the powers of Darkness. They want everyone in this world to go to hell. They don't want anyone to hear the way of salvation. They don't want anyone who hasn't already given their life to Jesus Christ to give their life to Jesus Christ. They they want anyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ to not grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. They want them to fail. They want them to fall. This is on the one side. On the other side, you have those of us who are preaching the word of God. We don't want anyone to go to hell. Amen? We want to love people into the kingdom of God. We want to teach people the word of God. We want those that don't know the word word of God to know the word of God. And those that know a little to know more. And we want those that know a lot to apply it to their hearts and to their lives. That's the battle. That's the battlefield. So when we go out onto the battlefield with a pea shooter, and we think that we're going to take on the enemy that's the enemy of our immortal souls, you've already lost before you've begun. You've already lost before you've begun. So what do we do? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, maybe the enemy doesn't want us to continue. Maybe that's why we're getting so many interruptions this morning. See, here's the thing. I'm going to give you from the Word of God the answer to what we do. It's not my answer. It's God's answer. But this man did everything in his power to keep the proconsul from becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Everything he could. Everything he could. We need to do everything we can to make sure that believers become followers of Christ. And you know, I'm a very patient man but not that patient, so please, thank you. Saul, called Paul, we're told, was filled with the Spirit. He rebuked this man, and he struck him with blindness. Let's read. I I like this stuff. This is just me. I like that time we studied about Herod falling down, eating of worms. I like this. Here's what we read. But is the sorcerer, notice that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And this is what we read in verse 9. Then Saul, who was called or also called Paul, it's the first time we call him Paul in the scriptures, filled with what? Tell me. Tell me again. Tell me one more time so I don't forget. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Eliamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, listen. I know there's something within us, especially within me, that wants the power to make people blind. I would overuse it. If I went to the Dunkin' Donuts and they were a little late getting my order. Well, no. You see, the problem is, the problem is, God does this work by telling us what He wants to do. And when He tells us what He wants to do, we have to do what He's called us to do. When He tells us what He wants to do, we have to do what He has called us to do. How are you going to know what God wants you to do? You need to pray. See, I believe, and it doesn't say it here, but we know that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was able to speak to his heart because he was in prayer. He was in a state of prayer. And listen, listen, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, He was able to do something that God wanted to do, but only because God wanted to do it. He looked right at Elias and exposed him for who he was, a child of the devil. He called him an enemy of everything that is right, full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. He challenged him by asking if he would ever stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Paul had, being filled with the Spirit, received the gifts of knowledge and discernment. Talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, by the way, his name Saul meant desire, and he was a man that desired greatness. But now he's called Paul, which means small or little. Refers to his stature. He wasn't very tall. But you know something? This man was a giant in the faith. Because he knew where his power came from. He knew that God would fight the battle. He looked to the Holy Spirit who had filled his life and empowered him to do ministry to fight the battle. He didn't try to fight it himself. And then Paul prophesied that the Lord would strike this man with temporary blindness. By the way, temporary blindness. God is merciful. This man was blind to the truth. Well, now he was blind. And it wasn't going to last forever. But it was going to last long enough to get this guy out of the way so that Sergius Paulus could come to faith. He was immediately struck blind, unable to find his way home. I love that. You know, he groped about, seeking for someone to lead him by the hand. He, he couldn't even find a way out at that point. Paul had received the gift of miraculous powers as well. Paul was very gifted by the Spirit. This is a miraculous power, okay? Raising the dead, casting out demons, calling somebody out like, like, like Paul did, and then him being blind. Or the time Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira that they would fall down dead, and they did. Those are called miraculous powers. I know we all want miraculous powers, but it doesn't come to us because we want them. It comes to us because we're doing what God has called us to do the way he's called us to do it. And then he tells us in prayer, as we're filled with the spirit, this is what I want to do. So do it. This is what I want you to say. So say it. Okay. This wasn't Paul's idea. So God's idea. He was just listening. Paul is just a good listener. So the proconsul, when he sees this happen, believed the word of God and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The miracle performed by the Holy Spirit, not by Paul, caused him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of miracles. He was not only amazed by the miracle, but also, if you noticed, by the teaching about the Lord. Listen, it says it here. When the proconsul, in verse 12, saw what had happened, he believed for... He was amazed at the miracle? No. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord, which included the miracle, but it's the word of God that amazed him. The power of God's word is amazing. Why are we not using the word of God to fight the battle today? Churches have abandoned the word of God. Those protesting are not standing on the word of God. Where are the prayer meetings? Where's the filling of the Holy Spirit to stand up and and stand up for what we believe? This is how we fight the good fight of faith. This is how we win. So, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will empower us to speak, but it's the teaching about the Lord that brings faith and salvation, not the miracles. Miracles just impress people and get their attention. It's the Word of God that changes lives. So as I ask Rachel to come up to close out the service, I want to remind you of this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That is, they're not earthly. They're not worldly. But they're mighty to the pulling down of spiritual strongholds. There is a stronghold in Trenton. And it's of the enemy. How do I know that? What do they believe? What do they promote? How can you say that? Because what they say betrays their hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is a stronghold in Washington and has been for a very long time. There are strongholds in our hearts. There are strongholds in the hearts of our neighbors and those around us. Those strongholds will only be pulled down by spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is fought through prayer, the study and the preaching of God's word through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If you fight in any other way, you will surely lose let's pray Lord Heavenly Father we thank you for your word we thank you for this word and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would fill us with your spirit those of us who trust in you for our our, our salvation those of you who acknowledge those of us who acknowledge that you died on the cross for our sins that you rose again on the third day you you ascended into heaven and are coming again to judge the living and the dead. We believe you are our Lord and Savior. We believe in you. We put our trust in you. Our faith is in you. We cry out, and we ask that if there's anyone here who can't be described in that way, that they would cry out to you and become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a believer. But for all of us who have exercised faith, We ask for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit to give us intelligence and wisdom and understanding and discernment and help us to pray powerfully, earnestly and to know what you want to do because we hear your voice and then to do it in the power of your spirit and if it causes those who are blind spiritually to suffer that they might be saved, so be it. That others might come to know you by faith through the preaching and the teaching of your word. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We ask that you would continue to bless us here this week and throughout the weeks to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen.